welcome to the Mom Nificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. In our busy lives, it's hard to stop and take a breath and just let things go. Well, Dr. Darlene Menini is joining me today to tackle the problem of stress and anxiety. Darlene is the author of the Emotional Toolkit and creator of the UCLA Undergraduate Wellbeing course, Life Skills. Today, we're gonna to find out how we can start using mindfulness and meditation to reduce stress and how to fit it into our very, very busy schedules, wherever you might be today. Darlene, welcome to Momnificent. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here, Karen. So Darlene, I was hoping you could take us back to how you started off um, with mindfulness and maybe first mm-hmm. explaining like what mindfulness is and describe it because so many people hear it. It's such a buzzword right now, but then sometimes yeah. when you get to the bottom of it, it's like, wait, what is it really? Right. What is that? <laughs> well, for me, I got into it because at the time I was teaching at UCLA and also getting my doctorate full time and kind of stressed a little bit, you know, crazy. And, um, I was just looking for something to help me feel more grounded so that when things, challenges or crises came at me, I wasn't so thrown. And I had a psychologist friend that said, you should try mindfulness. And I'm like, what is that? What is mindfulness? You know? Um, And so I went and I, I took a class and I just felt that it gave me so much relief. And it was just such a wonderful thing for me. Um, that I became really, really interested in it. And when I started teaching undergraduates at UCLA who were also dealing with a lot of stress, uh, I started incorporating that into the teaching with, with undergraduates. And, um, and, I'm, and I will start off by saying that there are many things that can give you that sense of relief. You know, some people it's exercise, some people it's playing the piano, you know, so it's not the only thing in the world. Everybody has to find their thing. Um, But this is a a very wonderful thing. And there's a lot of research and data on it. And um, so the question is, what is it, right? So what is mindfulness? Mindfulness is described as paying attention to the present moment without judgment. So whatever's happening for you right now, you're present with it without saying this is great or this is terrible. You just kind of see it for what it is. And once we talk more, I'll explain how you do that, because that would be my question. Like, how do you do that? You know, Um, and uh, what we know from some of the studies coming out of Harvard is that almost 50 percent of the time people report that whatever they're doing right now, whether it's cooking or driving or whatever, uh, people are not paying attention to what they're doing. They're thinking about something else. I mean, guilty, right? Yes, all of us. And it's very natural to do this. Um, What happens oftentimes while you're doing whatever you're doing, you might be thinking about the future. 
And uh, especially in this time in, in we're, the life we're in right now, you might be thinking about what if this doesn't happen? What if it does happen? What am I going to do here? When will this end? When, you know, and our, our mind takes us to the future and that, that creates anxiety. Or we think about the past, about I shouldn't have done that, or that didn't work out, or, you know, I wish it would have been different. Um, and that creates sadness. And so what, we, what the studies have found is that when you can stay focused on the present moment, uh, people tend to be happier. And then my thought was, well, what if, what if the thing you're thinking about was really a good thing? Like, what if it's like anticipation of a vacation or some great memory? Isn't that good? And they have actually found that even when you're thinking about something great, you're not as happy as when you're focused on the present, even, and this is the, this is blew me away. Even if what you're doing in the present is not something that you like doing. Isn't that weird? So, um, so mindfulness is this ability to focus on what you're doing in the present and just be with what you're doing. And when you get pulled away, you just notice, oh, there's that thought I'm thinking. And you come back to whatever it is that you're doing. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. So I think people are sometimes afraid to be mindful. Like they're afraid they're going to miss something, right? Or they're afraid it's too hard to do, or maybe they won't plan for the future if they're only thinking about the present. Um, so do you have any suggestions, first of all, how to manage that sort of, it's uncomfortable for me to be in the moment experience? Yeah. Well, you know, what I used to tell my students is plan for the future, but don't live there. So in other words, of course, we have to plan for the future. Of course, we have to think ahead, right? We need to make a dentist appointment. We have to go to the DMV, you know, like all these things we have to do. Um, so, so, of course, as human beings in our world, we must think about the future. But there's a difference between thinking and planning for the future and living there. And sometimes, you know, we can be, especially if you're a parent, you know, uh, you're thinking about your child and their homework and what's going to happen. What are we going to do if I if I'm late in daycare and and uh, so what are we going to do in the summer and, and with COVID? How is this going to be working? And we are constantly living in the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Um, and so I have to say it is a skill to not do that. Well, actually, let me take that back. It's a skill to know how to pull yourself away when you do do that, because our brains are designed to plan for the future as a way to keep us safe. And so it's very natural that we do that, but, but it doesn't serve us in our well-being because the brain that we have right now was developed, you know, million years ago. Um, and right now in this particular year, it doesn't always serve us very well to be constantly thinking about what could go wrong. And, and, and it's actually called, uh, you might be familiar with the term, the negativity bias. Mm -hmm. Our brain is hardwired, right? To look around and say, what could go wrong? You know, and, uh, and that makes us unhappy. If we're always, scared. it was great when we lived in the cave times and we were watching out for an attacking tribe or a lion or a storm. We've, and, and the people who were very successful at always looking at what went wrong tended to survive. And then they passed those brains on to us. And that's the brain we have that's always saying, what if the hot water heater blows? What if I can't, my car doesn't work? You know, what if, what if my child gets the flu? You know, we're all, that's where we're at. So it is a 
skill that we need to practice to learn to say, oh, there's that thing I'm doing. I'm, I'm thinking about those things that come back to the present moment. And if you have the skill, it doesn't mean you'll never do it again. It just means that when you do do it, you'll know how to say, oh, I'm going to come back now. And I like how you touched on well-being because can you tell us the story about you where you, you dealt with some health almost crises, right? And, and, and you realized like something was causing, I like to say the dis-ease that caused a disease or could be and how mindfulness kind of helped you out of that. Uh, I'm not sure if you're referring to something specific. Um, I know. It, what, was there a time when you were, you, um, you had like a physical ailment or you realized like the stress in life was just physically her, um, well, I mean, impacting I, you or actually, maybe not? Maybe, yeah, may, may, not, nothing specific, but okay. as my training is in health psychology. So um, th this is really well known that there's a link between our stress and our health. And um, if our nervous system is always on, especially right now with everything's happening in our world, um, people have trouble sleeping. They lay in bed and they're thinking and thinking. There's so much that's going on that uh, it wears down our immune system. You know, we have people have high blood pressure. They have stomach troubles, digestion issues. You know, it, it's just it, so so being able to be present. It sounds so simple, but it is not an easy thing to do. And and I teach this and sometimes I got to remind myself, all oh, right, I know how to do this. Um, and, and so there's so much good to come out of learning how to do this. Um, and with your health benefits of having to, when you do it, there's health benefits there, you're happier, you're more people, you know, turned out to be more successful. Uh, but it does, it really does take practice to, to be able to do it. Yeah, I like how you you mentioned it. It's like a skill. It's like, completely a skill. And and sometimes people are like, "Well, I tried it once. Uh, maybe I tried a couple times, but well, know, that that happened to me, Karen. That happened to me. It's like <laughs> so I read all now? the books. I took the class, and I practiced, and I would do it. I'm like, and then I would be doing it for ten minutes. I'm like, I don't feel any different. I feel the same as I had, as I felt before. This doesn't work, right? But then I realized that the analogy is sort of like lifting weights. You wouldn't go to a gym and pick up 10 pound weights and do a couple of reps and put it down and go, where's my muscle? You know, I, I don't have a muscle. You realize that you need to keep going back. And over time you get stronger and stronger and you start to feel, you, they start to slowly see your muscle get tighter. And that's kind of what this is like. You do a little bit over time and you find that you're able to hold your attention longer and longer and you become more focused. And this is what I have seen. I mean, the data shows this to be true, but I've also seen this in real time with my students. When I was very first, it was a long time ago when I started teaching it, when mindfulness was a really new concept and people didn't know much about it. And they're like, why are we doing this? This is dumb, you know? Um, but by, by the time we start to get to week through two and three and four, people would be like, wow, I feel, I don't feel so stressed. What's wrong with me? I, you know, there must be something wrong with me because I'm not worrying all the time. And that it kind of creeps up on you that that's how it would happen to me. Like I, I'm feeling better, but nothing in my life has changed. I don't, I can't point to, well, this good thing happened or that I just felt better. And I didn't really understand why. So it's a slow thing uh, that you commit to doing a little bit 
at a time. And if you stay with it, for most people, not everybody, again, it's every, everybody has their thing, but for, for a lot of people, this has turned out to be something like it's very helpful. So what, what can we share with our listeners that, that they will do in this first step of a process in this first mindful meditation? Like, walk us through like what your simple practice is. Okay, well, there's, there's two ways you can approach this. And this is something I think a lot of people are confused about. So I want to clear this up. I, um, I don't think people talk about this much. And that's the difference between mindfulness and mindfulness meditation. Okay, because they're a little bit different. And this is helpful for you to know how much you want to commit to doing uh, on any given day, right? Depending on your schedule and your life. So the best way to explain the difference between mindfulness and mindfulness meditation is um, if you look at the difference between movement and exercise. So throughout our day, we move our body, right? We get up out of our chair, we walk to our car, we're always moving in some capacity. But we may make a decision you know, I really want to do some intense moving, right? I want to really kind of amplify the impact I can get from my moving. So I'm going to exercise. I'm going to set some, some time aside and I'm going to swim. I'm going to run. I'm going to dance. I'm going to do something for a certain amount of time that I'm going to kind of up the ante on my moving, get my heart going, pick up something heavy. And you might see that you accelerate your strength or your flexibility because you've dedicated time to doing intensive moving, which we call exercise. So it's the same thing here. Mindfulness is something that we can do in any moment of our life. Maybe you're helping your child with your homework. And as you're sitting at the table with her, you start thinking about all the things you need to do tomorrow. And then you go up, oh, there I am thinking about something else. I'm going to come back to focusing on this math homework. And you you wander, you come back and you be present with your child. Um, so that's mindfulness. I'm being mindful. I'm being in the moment with her doing homework. I'm not thinking about what I need to do tomorrow. All right. Mm -hmm. Then you say, well, I want to amp up this mindfulness a little bit. I want to do it intensely so I can maybe get more of a, you know, impact. So I'm going to set aside time, just like exercise. I'm going to set aside five minutes. And for those five minutes, I'm just going to sit and I'm going to focus on one thing. And for it could be your breath. That's kind of the conventional thing you hear a lot about focus on your breathing, but it doesn't have to be. Could be the sounds that you hear, could be the feeling of your back against your chair. And for five minutes, I'm not going to do anything but focus on that. And every time my mind wanders, because it's going to wander, because that's what brains do, I'm going to notice it and I'm going to come back. And, and when five minutes is up, then I'm, I'm done. And so that was mindfulness meditation. So you can practice meditation or you can practice mindfulness. You could do both. And some days might be busy and you won't have time to sit and do meditation, but you can be mindful in your, in your day to day. When I used to meditate 30 minutes every day, and then I became a mom, that was over. <laughs> So, so I had to find a way, how can I infuse this into my day-to-day -day life? Right. And, and so that's called meditation and action, right? So the way you do that is typically you use your, your five senses, right? You know, sight, hearing, smell, right? 
So I would do my meditation in action while I'm brushing my teeth. Instead of brushing my teeth and thinking about, okay, I got to go to the store. I got to get gas. I got to go here. I got to, no, I'm brushing my teeth. I'm noticing the smell of the Crest toothpaste, the feeling of the, the color of the suds on my teeth, the feeling of the toothbrush in my mouth. And whenever my mind would wander for that minute or two that I was brushing my teeth, I would completely focus on teeth brushing. That's meditation in action. Dedicated. You're not sitting, but you're, but you're meditating. You could do it in the shower, the smell of the soap, the feeling of the suds, the warmth of the water. When my mind wanders, I just come back for, for the five minutes I'm in my shower, I am meditating. I used to meditate in my car when I would pull into UCLA. Before I would get out, I would sit for five minutes in my car and just breathe and notice the feeling of the chair on my back. You know, I was meditating. You meditate how you can, you know, so there's many ways to do it. Does it matter how long you do it? Like, does is there a difference between just doing it five minutes a day or doing it longer? Um, so there are various studies that say different things. The most common is that between 10 and 20 minutes is what you would need to start uh, rewiring your brain because your brain actually does become rewired and the, it, the left prefrontal cortex lights up more when you, which is the pleasure, like kind of the happier area of your brain, it, it's, it tends to build that portion of your brain, which is why people go, I feel better, but I don't know why. It's actually an organic thing. Having said that, what I will also say is that whatever you can do is a good thing, right? Because I've had students say, well, I can't do 10 minutes, so I might as well not do it at all. No, 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 no. You should do it. When I first started doing it, all I could do was five minutes. Um, that's great. Five minutes every day is really great to start building a habit. And, and if you can do more, you do more. Whatever you're doing is a good thing to do. You don't need mm -hmm. to go like on a retreat in the mountains somewhere for days at a time. If you could do five minutes every day, five minutes when you lay your head down on the pillow before you go to sleep, notice the feeling of the pillow on your skin, the weight of the blanket on your shoulders before you go to sleep, good for you. That's, that's you're so in bad. the game. You're in the game. Because sometimes that's all I have. Exactly. Me and, too. and instead of not doing it all, it's okay to be like, you know what, these two minutes or as I'm falling asleep or as I'm brushing my teeth or making dinner. Do you think that's why I wonder if kids are so much happier because they're living in the present moment and they don't have all those thoughts of the future and the past? Yes, I very right? much agree. Like, that, or, not only kids, I mean... Whenever I see a dog in a car, you know, you're driving a car and the dog's in the back with his ears flopping and his, and his tongue. And I love that. And it's because the dog is not, he's just in that moment, right? In the present moment. Yes. Kids, you know, and I'm not saying that kids don't have worries. They do. They no, have, they do. They have kid right. worries. They have they that. seem inconsequential sometimes to us, but they are significant and big kid worries. However, when they get lost in play, when they're in that state of flow, right? And they're coloring or they're on the playground or they're talking to a friend. Um, they're immersed in that. 
and we can become immersed in things as well. And that's a whole other thing. And when time stops and you forget where you are, um, finding those activities, and that's why mindfulness can be done while you're crocheting. It can be done while you're, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people about what are you doing while we were sequestered at home? And people say, um, I'm cooking. I never cook. And I've like, I love to cook or I'm reading or I'm walking or I'm doing yoga. They're doing, they're immersing themselves in activities that they may not have been, had the time to do. And so I don't think you need to do this for 60 minutes sitting with your legs crossed and, you know, humming, humming, right? I think if you could do five minutes where you just the only thing I would say is, you know, you don't need to sit like a pretzel. You don't need to wear special clothes. If you can just find a place that you feel safe and you know you won't be interrupted for five minutes and just be with your, whether it's your breath, some people are more comfortable with other things. Like, you know, um, it gives you a moment of peace away from all the things you have to do on your list, all the things you're thinking about, all the responsibilities that you have, all the things you have to decide. It's so much sometimes that just to have even five minutes where it's gone or it's, it's still there, but okay, I'm not going to think about you right now. I'm just going to think about this feeling of my back against this chair. And it's very, the science hasn't really quite figured out what it is about the present moment that can be so restorative, but it is. Wow. And I think sometimes I feel like I need a beach. I need a park to practice in. Although like I would never mindfully meditate if I, if I was always searching for that. So what's the kind of setup someone might need to do this? What does it require? I mean, you touched on that a little bit. Is there anything else you want to add to that? Well, first of all, a beach is a great thing to go to. I mean, forget mindfulness. If you can go to the beach, like, you know, I'm lucky I live on the coast in California, so I can go to the beach anytime I want. And a lot of times if I do go to the beach, I will meditate on the waves because I can sit on a beach and be thinking about all the stuff I need to be doing. And I have to go food shopping after I leave the beach. And I hope my, nobody hit my car in the parking lot. You know, it's like, and I'm not even at the beach. I'm somewhere else. And then I leave and I go, gee, I don't even remember the beach, right? So if you go to the beach, be at the beach. If you go to the park, be at the park. Watch the waves come in. Listen to the sound of the waves. Hear the birds. Smell the salt air. Notice the blue. Notice the be at the beach, right? Um, having said that, if you want to be mindful, you don't need to be at a beach. You don't need to be at a park. There's no special setup. Um, you can sit on the floor. You can sit in your chair. You can, like I'm here in my office right now. I could just at this moment sit here and, you know, be mindful. Uh, there's no, you know, sometimes people get confused with the dogma Do I need to wear special tights? Do I need to like put my hands in a special way? You don't. Um, You know, I I really like what John Kabat-Zinn, who is a a very renowned researcher and teacher of mindfulness. And if anybody is looking for somebody to read, John Kabat-Zinn's book is wonderful. Um, The title of Wherever You Go, There You Are. I just adore that title. you know, maybe if I go to the beach, I'll be calm. Well, I don't know. If you weren't calm before, you might not be calm at the beach either. You know, learning to be calm wherever you are is the greater skill. 
and that's not an easy skill at all. Um, but uh, but there's no particular way. Oh, so what he says is just sit in a way that embodies dignity, you know? Mm-hmm. And what I will say biologically is that when your spine is straight, it sends a message to your brain that it's time to be awake. So sometimes for people, when they lay down and try to be meditating, they fall asleep. So when you sit up, your brain goes, oh, we're awake now. I get it. Okay. So that can be helpful for people to try to sit upright um, as opposed to laying down. Having said that, if you like to lay down and that works for you, the idea is that you have control over the process. You want to open your eyes, you can open them. If you want to focus on sounds of the cars on your street, the birds outside, if that's better than your breathing, find something that works for you. It's called your anchor of attention. Just find an anchor of attention and fully expect that as you focus on it, your mind will wander. And when it does, you didn't do anything wrong. It means that you have a brain and brains are supposed to think, and that's just, it's just doing its thing. And you just notice, just like when you're a child, I mean, when your kids were little and they would head over to the uh, light socket and you'd say, oh, no, 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 let's go over here and look at this toy, right? And then they go back to the light socket. No, 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 let's go right. That's what you're doing. Your mind is going over here to your worries and you go, oh, there's that thought again. Come back to my breathing. Oh, there's that thought again come back to my breathing. And every time you bring your thought back, that is meditation. The strength, you build strength of attention and focus by bringing it back over and over. You'll never get to the point where you never think about anything. It's just not the way the brain works. Yeah, that's so natural. And I love how bringing it back is the mindfulness, which is what sometimes I think like, well, because my mind can't be still, I can't do it. So I love that you're, you're, you just taught us that. That's, that's really, really helpful. So can you go back to going to, if you have trouble going to sleep, like wh- what were the strategies you were saying? Or, or is there something you would say, even if, if a parent had a child who the child had trouble going to sleep, is there something a child you could help their? Yeah. Um, so, so the rule of thumb is to think about how can you use your five senses, right? So think about the five senses. You may have a preference for one, sight, smell, hearing, taste, touch, right? Um, so it's for, if it's for you, and I do this, if I can't sleep and I know I got to get up and I'm finally like, oh my God, I'm looking at the clock. Now I have less hours of sleep and you find you're making yourself, ah. Then as I was mentioning earlier, that's what I do. I notice the feeling of the pillow on my face or the weight of the blanket. If your child is having difficulty sleeping. And this is what's so great is you can teach them these self-soothing strategies at a young age. And uh, first of all, by letting them see you do it. And I did this when my daughter was little. Um, I remember once she lost her her doll and she was really upset. And I said, okay, before we look for your doll, let's sit down for a second and just do a a couple of tea we're going to breathe a little bit because it'll make our brain work better. And then we'll find your doll. And, and so we did a, a few breaths, which I'll teach you in a second. Um, and then she, okay, we were calm. Okay. Now let's think, where could your doll be? And we, we found her. So with your, with, with a child, you can say, oh, you know, I can see that I can see it's hard tonight to, to sleep. And we all have that. Sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's easy. That's really normal. And let me show you what I do when I have 
some trouble sleeping and well, let's do it together. Um, note, can you notice how soft your pillow feels? And do you feel your blanket on your skin? And um, I'm gonna rub your back. Can you, can you feel how my hand feels when I rub your back and you feel it, my hand goes up, my hand goes down and just feel round and round or, or, or maybe you sing to your child if that's what your child likes. Can you hear my voice when I sing to you? And every time your mind thinks about something, your friend, that fight you had or about school or about your worries, we're just gonna come back to that feeling of my hand on your back or the pillow on your face, or your pajamas on your skin. And, and, and we're just gonna keep doing that until you get relaxed and you fall asleep. Cause this is what, this is what mommy does. I do this, this is what I do for me. And I, and I like to do this. And so you're modeling, you're not just teaching, you're modeling that this is what we do. That stress is normal and natural and you're not doing anything wrong if you feel stressed. And there are some things we can do to make it a little bit better. And so just simple things, if you kind of infuse that into their day, um, you know, if they come home and they're really upset and they're crying, okay, before, I want to really hear everything that went on for you. Let's first try to calm ourselves. Let's take some breaths together. And then I want to hear everything that you have to say. Can we do that? Is that okay? Yes, that's okay. Bobby. Okay, let's do that together. And, and then you're teaching them self-regulation. You're teaching themselves how to regulate their nervous system. So they're tipped over into their sympathetic nervous system. We want to bring them over into their parasympathetic because we know that when people can calm themselves, they think better, they problem solve better. So you're modeling, you're teaching them a skill so that when they go away to college and they don't have you there or they're off in the world working and they're working on a project and they're overwhelmed, they will know how to self-soothe and go, okay, team, Let's just take a break here. Let's take a couple of breaths before we do this. This is the best gift you can give your kids. And that it's okay that yes. you can't sleep that night. It's okay that you got upset. Like, it's not like, no, you can't or something's wrong with you. I, yeah. I like that part of it. Like, you're just teaching them that, hey, if you, did, if you can't fall asleep tonight, like, that happens to all of us. Not that there's something different yeah. or abnormal or because that could also create additional problems of thoughts that, you know, maybe it's, right. maybe I'm the only one who, who faces this or, or maybe there's something wrong with me. No, there's, there's nothing wrong with you. And here's okay. something we're going to do that's going to help you. I love that. Yeah, you're validating as opposed to saying, oh, it wasn't that big a deal or I'm sure it'll be okay. Um, right. We want to validate that this is a feeling that everybody has and you will continue to have it. And mommy has it all the time. You know, yeah. it's like, and that's so healthy. That's so healthy to teach them that. Um, so here's the phrase that I, if I had a mantra, this is my mantra. And it is, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. Mm -hmm. And this goes back again to John Kabat-Zinn. Um, you're never going to reach a point in your life when you're not stressed, when you're not overwhelmed. There's nothing wrong with you. Uh, if you feel that way, that's life. But when you have some strategies like mindfulness, and there's others, but this is one of them, you know, you can't stop the waves of our lives, but you can surf it. And for me, having this as a tool in difficult times that I have had and you know, I, I think about one of the most difficult times in my life is when my dad died. I was so grateful that I could surf this difficult. I'm not going to make it go away. I'm not going to go, oh, that's not a big deal. Uh, no, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very big deal. But I got to use some of my mindfulness tools to be in the moment and to 
feel, okay, I'm going to, I'm sitting in this chair now. I'm feeling my back. I'm feeling my body. I'm feeling, you know, like be present. As we said earlier, being present for difficult situations can actually be easier or better for your well-being than to distract yourself with a pleasant one, which seems to make no sense. But I can tell you in that moment, sitting in the funeral home, it was a hundred percent true that to be present and notice the shapes and the sounds and the colors and the music and the feelings in that moment, I was able to be calmer than if I was thinking of other moments. I can't explain why, but it, it was true. It was true for me. And I think if you do that, those are moments you remember, Yes. right? Like yes. life goes on, you do things, but it's not, I, I noticed it's not until I actually stop and take, I don't know, stock or, or notice like you just described, that's yeah. that moment that you go back to and, and, and your memory knows it because you just embodied it. And almost like you checked yeah. in at that, in that point in time. And sometimes those, that's all you have is those, those memories. But if you, yeah. if, if you don't stay connected to the present, things just happen, but you don't always remember it. And well, um, you know, and that's such a great point, Karen, because if you think about it, in 30 seconds from now, this present moment will be the past, right? It will be, it will be a memory. And so yeah. if I'm fully present right now, then I have fully experienced this. My, I can look back and go, I was, I was there for all of it. I was present. And which is why sometimes people say, you know, this whole trend of going to like a concert and taking pictures of the concert, you know, instead of being at the concert, I want to take this picture so I remember it. Well, maybe, maybe you should just be here, you know, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. take it all in the sights, yeah. the sounds, and then you really will be here. I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking a photo, but, right. um, but you know what I'm saying? But to get there's- the full, like the full, I don't know, effect or benefit of it. I remember somebody saying like, when you walk down the aisle on your wedding day, just consciously stop and say to yourself, this is what it feels like to be a bride. Like consciously make, and I didn't make that connection until you were just telling yes. that story where I was like, yes that's it in the funeral home. Like that's the moment you took and you will never, never forget that. I think that's such a beautiful way to, to actually think of capturing moments in your life that, that, that you want to last forever. Yeah. I mean, like your child's birthday party, instead of saying, well, you know, the cake arrived late or, you know, what am I going to get through the gift bag? Or, you know, these kids aren't getting along. I like, just, just be here. Just just take it in. This is life, you know, whether it's, good or bad. I mean, yeah. this is life. Life is um, not always going to be easy. I don't care how much you do mindfulness. It doesn't mm-hmm. change the fact that life can be hard, life life. right? But right? it just, it, but, it sounds like it just enriches. You can have yes. like, I want to say like enriching moments. Yeah. That's such yes. a beautiful life to live because it's funny. Cause I tell people all the time, like, you're not alone. I talk to moms. I'm like, you're not alone. Like if your kid's struggling, like you're not alone. Yes, it looks like on Facebook we all have these perfect lives, but those are moments. We all have great moments, but we all have like normal stuff that like bad breath, bad hair day, like can't find anything to wear. Fresh like but but I love how what you're saying it's it it just helps us almost frame it around like like seeing see being able to know that I could experience an enriching moment in my life and I have complete control over that and no one can take that from me no one gives that no one takes it from you that's our choice and you're helping us see that today which is so beautiful Um, so what if I'm practicing mindfulness meditation and feelings come up like how do I address that what what do you you, so um 
you know, people have felt different feelings when they, when they do mindfulness meditation, a popular feeling is boredom. This is bored, uh, boring, because we're used to a lot of stimulation and the idea of just sitting there doing nothing, uh, especially if we believe we should always be productive and doing something and accomplishing things. It can be a struggle to sit there and it could feel frustrating. And that's just something to notice. Hmm, isn't that interesting when I do nothing? What, where else in life do I feel this way? It, what is this connected to? It, it can be very, uh, raise your awareness of, of how I am in, in life. Having said that, then there, are, there may be times for some people though, when it's more than just a feeling of boredom or frustration, but it, it's much more intense. Some people experience more intense feelings, um, more challenging feelings. And if that's the case, there are a few things you can try that might help you feel more in control of the experience. One is you don't need to close your eyes. Um, a lot of times people will think I've got to close my eyes and be here. You don't have to. For some people, closing their eyes can be uncomfortable. So if you're not comfortable with that, don't do it. You know, this is your thing. Uh, the other thing is, if, you're, if it's feeling really uncomfortable, instead of sitting, you might want to move when you do this. Uh, some of my students had trouble sitting for, for a variety of, of personal reasons. It was difficult for them to sit. Um, so we crafted a, a meditation where they walked. As they walked around campus, they would notice, again, the senses, right? They notice, oh, they're the bricks are square and there's green on them and I'm listening to the birds and I'm noticing how my feet feel when they hit the pavement and I'm like, they moved their bodies. So for some people, moving meditation is uh, much more compatible with their biology and their experience than sitting and closing their eyes. And the other thing that people can do is they can use different anchors as we alluded to earlier. For some people, many meditations will guide you on the breath, breathe in, breathe out. And that's a very popular thing to do for a variety of reasons. But for some people, that's um, very uncomfortable to do and it could be very triggering. And so find something else to focus on. It doesn't have to be your breath. It just has to be something that's stable in the world. So it could be, as I mentioned, could be the feeling of your feet on the floor, the feeling of your chair on your back your clothes on your skin. It could be that feeling. It could be a sound, the sound of the birds, the cars going by, the dog that's barking. You know, it could be something outside. Um, I did it once. I, I led a group once. We were in a room and the air conditioner was humming and people were like, oh, so I said, let's make that our anchor. We're all going to focus on the sound of the air conditioning. Notice the nuance, how it gets louder and how it gets lower and it's hissing and what is this? And that became our anchor. So you don't have to make it breathing. The, the key is that you feel sense of control over the experience and that it works for you. And if you find that it's just really difficult to do, then it could be that this is not your strategy. You might choose a different strategy. Like I said, journal writing, uh, exercising, yoga, playing the piano, knitting, you know, there might be other things that give you that sense of being present in the moment. Um, lots of data that shows this is effective, but it may not be effective for everybody. Hmm. 
I think that's a really good point because you hear it, you know, mindfulness and you hear people talk about or either I can't or people who totally love it. But I love how you're just framing it like try it. And if, if it's something that works for you, like that's great. And if it's not like mm-hmm. that's OK, too. Again, right, cause, there's nothing cause, wrong with you. But sometimes we yeah, think of something that everybody's it, doing and it. it's like, crap, I can't. And then you're worse off that you even learned about mindfulness because now you're beating yourself up that you don't do it, which is. I've had so many people say that to me. I tried mindfulness and I failed or I'm no good I at feel it. Like you can't not be good at it. As if there's something bad yeah. or wrong, you put it. I, it might I not be the thing you for you, but you, yeah. yet you, you're not failing. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. So lastly, yeah. is there one thing that you would suggest that our listeners could start doing today, right now? And I know there's a 336 method that you use. I don't know if you're going to share that one, but I really like that when I heard it. <laughs> but if you want to say that one, add another one, go for it. <laughs> I have had students like from 15 years ago call me and say, I was taking the, I was taking my LSATs for law school and I, I did the 336 breathing before I took it and I, or, you know, or I had to give a speech and I did the 336 before I went to the podium. It's like so popular. So I will say this is a breathing one. Yes, it is a breathing one. It's catchy. Yeah, it is catchy, right? We should brand it. Okay. Sometimes and sometimes that helps us remember things. But yeah, go ahead. It does. Okay. So what this is, and again, this is a breathing thing. So this may or may not work for you. But the whole point of the breathing thing, uh, you're going to notice when I describe this to you that you're going to exhale longer than you inhale. And there's a reason for that. You're getting 20 times more oxygen to your brain when you have a longer exhale than an inhale, okay? And so what we're gonna do is you breathe in through your nose to the count of three, you hold it to the count of three, and then you exhale for the count of six. Now, if you find a three, three, six, you get dizzy, it's too much, do two, two, four, do one, one, two, don't get caught up on the number. What all you want to do is know that your exhale will be longer than your inhale and do like two or three rounds of this. Uh, takes less than 60 seconds. You can do it online at the supermarket. Nobody will even know you can do it at a red light in your car. I've done all of the above. Um, and so do you want me to show you how we do this? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so again, you can keep your eyes open or closed, whatever is comfortable for you. And so you're gonna breathe in through your nose, two, three, hold, two, three, exhale through your mouth, two, three, four, five, six, inhale, two, three, hold, two, three, exhale through your mouth, two, three, four, five, six. And you can do that before you have a conference call, a Zoom call, before you're gonna, before you pick your kids up from school and they're making that transition and you wanna be calm. And you can do it when there are people around like, I'm doing right. I could do it right now. And you wouldn't even know I was doing it. Right. So like if I'm in a meeting with a staff and I'm getting stressed, I can do that in the meeting and no one will even know, like I'll sit there in my chair in the meeting and I've done this, like I'm feeling my back against the chair. I'm feeling my feet on the floor. I'm 
breathing and nobody has a clue that I'm doing it. And now I'm more focused. I'm not anxious and I feel better. Um, so it's just a simple little thing. You find little, we, we tweak, we find little ways that we can bring it. The question that I, I tell you to ask yourself is what small thing can I do in this moment to feel just a little bit better, right? Just a little, I don't have to feel happy and great, just a little bit better in this moment. And this is a technique that can, can help do that. Um, so, yeah. Wow, Darlene, thank you so much. This has been truly valuable. I love just the little pieces that you shared that can be easy takeaways right where someone is at, whether it's the message that, oh, what a relief. I realize mindfulness doesn't work for me and that's okay. Or yeah. the little tips and tricks that you shared that I know I'm even going to use this week when I have to make a difficult you know, phone call or um, I come in from Carline and it's just crazy and now I got to do the announcements and then I got to walk into a meeting and it's like, how do I get myself you know, to connect in yes. that moment when I just lived through you know, a storm in a sense of anything that can be happening or, or hitting us and you know, in two seconds flat. So I, I just, this yeah. is so, so valuable. And I just want to thank you for giving of your time for, for me and my listeners today. Um, I just, I can't thank you enough. So thanks for accepting this interview and call. And I just, well, and I want to thank you, Karen, for being on the front lines, you and all your teachers that are doing heroes work every day. And You're so welcome. thank you. Just want to say thank you to you and all of them get a little teary here. <laughs> well, that's all we've got for this episode of the Momnificent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy. Be happy.